Welcome to MedKinza Talks, your go-to source for bite-sized content in becoming future doctors. I'm your host, Kinza Hussein, and I'm a second-year medical student helping students navigate the ins and outs of one of the most competitive careers. I will be sharing the lessons I've learned and inviting guest speakers to provide real quality advice to help you get into medical school, succeed as a med student, and prepare you to become a future doctor. Want more free quality advice? Subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on Instagram at MedKinza, where I post videos and infographics delivering content to you every week. Now sit back, relax, and learn something new. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every week. Hey, welcome. This is episode 13. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Annie. She's a second-year medical student at an osteopathic medical school and a former dietetic technician with a bachelor's in dietetics. I found Annie through Instagram. Her handle is at sliceofannie. I love all of the recipes she posts on there, including her documentation of her journey through medical school. Thank you so much, Annie, for coming on today. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. When I saw your Instagram page, I was like, this is someone I definitely need to get on here because I don't know any former dietetic technicians or anyone with a bachelor's in dietetics that then went on to medical school. So this is a really awesome opportunity. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you found me and I feel like we've connected pretty well on Instagram. So it's really cool how that's worked out. Yeah. So my first question for you today, if you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, some background, where are you from, what year in medical school are you? Um, yeah, so I'm originally from Arizona, but I've moved over to South Carolina to go to medical school, and I am currently in my second year. That's awesome. Me too. How's it going so far? Oof. Like... <laughs> The last block was honestly extremely challenging. This block is a little bit better, but I am terrified of boards and the pressure yeah. is growing to study for it. So it's just yeah, been a little hard trying to balance everything. With yeah, so what block did you finish that was challenging? It was um, GI and GU. So I don't think the material per se was super challenging it was more there were so many things going on outside of school with like switching from online back to in person for the pandemic and our exam schedule and just like a lot of outside factors as well that was just very stressful yeah no there's a lot that goes into being a med student like you're not just a student who's studying all the time that's not your only responsibility um, we just finished cardio about a week and a half ago, and that was a really hard exam. That was the hardest exam I've ever taken in med school so far. But I'm glad that you know you're in a better block. I'm also terrified for boards. Um, I have not even started doing practice questions, so we're definitely all kind of in the same boat in different ways. Yeah, for sure. So my next question for you is kind of delving into um, more personal details. I feel like I want our listeners to hear what you know your GPA is, what your MCAT score is, and even in my future podcast, I want to have people that I interview start sharing that just so our viewers can, or our listeners can kind of get an idea of what stats real people are applying with and kind of hear their story, what extracurriculars you did, kind of like a quick summary of your application, the high yield stuff, if you don't mind sharing what your GPA was and what your MCAT score was when you were applying. Okay, so when I applied for medical school, my GPA was like 3.87, but my MCAT score is 
and not the best, it was 500. And so I applied very realistically when I went through this cycle. Um, and like, to be honest, some schools straight up told me like, your application looked amazing, except your MCAT score was just a little below our average. So that's why we didn't take you. Um, and I do feel very grateful that I got in on my first round trying. I only had one option. I only had one interview, but I mean, that's all it took to get me here. So very grateful for that, that I didn't have to take the MCAT again. Yeah, no, I'm actually so happy for you. You know, that's awesome. You only had to take it once. You applied realistically. You looked at the stats beforehand. You really figured out, you know, what schools can I get into? And I'm only going to focus on those. And I think that's a really smart strategy to use. And I had the same experience. Like my GPA was fine. I had a 3.75, I believe, mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. And my MCAT was a 505. So when I took the MCAT, you know, that was my third score too. I took it three times. So I finally scored at 505 for DO schools to kind of want to admit me on my third try. And it was just such an exhausting process. So for those that are listening out there, like there, you will reach your goals one day. And you know, if your GPA is high and your MCAT score is low, there's a lot of people like that, or people with low GPAs that make comebacks with their high MCAT scores. There's a lot of us out there that kind of have that story. Yeah, for sure. And I felt so lucky because I was literally about to pay for the second MCAT. And then that interview invitation came and this was like in January. I felt so defeated because every other school rejected me. And then that was like the little light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, wow, okay. No, I'm so happy for you. And this is actually a question I didn't tell you I would ask, but I was kind of wondering, how did you get that feedback from other med schools who said, oh, you know, your GPA was great, but your MCAT score was lacking, which is why we didn't accept you. Did you have to reach out and ask them that? Because I know when I got my rejection letters, there was no reason why. Mm -hmm. So I was just lucky that Midwestern um, will actually, in their rejection email, they said, if you want to reach out and get some feedback, you can. And that was the only school that ever said that. Yeah. So I called them and we kind of played telephone tag. So I didn't get to personally talk to someone, but this woman laid out like a very um, thorough voicemail basically. And that's essentially what she said. She was like, oh, everything was strong. Like this one's so strong. And then very kindly said, here, it just didn't really fit our average. Our average is a little bit higher. So, so like, I was like, okay, it's my MCAT score. Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I need those stats for sharing it with the rest of the world. I don't know. They're trying to maintain something, but that's really awesome. I wish more medical schools did that. I never got any feedback. I did call one school. It was an MD school and to ask them, you know, oh, like, why didn't I get in? What can I improve on in my application? And they were like, oh, we're not allowed to share that. And I thought that was so strange. Like I paid you guys so much money. I paid all of these schools so much money to just read my application and see if they're gonna accept me or not. I think it would take them maybe another five seconds to jot down, jot down the main reason why I didn't get accepted. Yeah, and it's hard because like, they do have thousands and thousands of applicants. So if they yeah. did that for everyone, it would be a lot of work, I guess. But at the same time, this is a super stressful process and especially if you, let's just say, like, don't get in the first time, which is totally fine, 
you still would prefer some feedback so that you can work on it for the next cycle. So I really encourage anyone who's reapplying to definitely reach out to as many schools as you can that you got rejection emails from and just see if they will share with you any guidance in terms of doing better. Mm -hmm. So my next question for you is, I noticed you have a lot of awesome pictures of food on your Instagram. And I really get impressed by foodie Instagrams because I can never take a good picture of food. Like if you want to share some tips, that would be awesome. Like, do you have pretty plates? Do you use an app? Do you have a nice counter space? I would just love to know. But I was wondering, you know, I have a hard time fitting in cooking in my schedule. I do cook. I don't buy food out too much, but I have to, I usually do it really fast. I don't have to, time to make things pretty. So how do you fit um, your, basically your cooking schedule with your med school schedule in your day-to-day -day and also making it look pretty for Instagram? So for me, um, I'm not someone who lives by like a set schedule. So it just depends on the day for me. Um, a lot of the times each week for about one day, which is usually like Sunday or the day right after an exam, I allot like one to two hours to really food prep something that's a big batch. So like four or five meals that I could get out of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and sometimes it takes like only 30 minutes. Um, for me, it's more practice. So I started to cook a lot more in undergrad because I didn't like the food that they were offering. <laughs> and I'm vegetarian so it's just a little bit hard to find healthy options that weren't just salads because I just can't eat a salad all the time um so <laughs> options cafeterias it's actually yeah so just by practicing I've been able to be more efficient with cooking and I kind of multitask with cooking too so like I figured out like okay these vegetables cook for a while I do these first and then I make the sauce and I make like whatever in between so that's like about one day a week and then throughout the week I usually just make quick little meals um, that only take about 10 minutes and for me cooking is my stress relief mm -hmm. so I try to make time to cook and that's kind of like cathartic for me because then I'm just not thinking about school I'm thinking about something else and also when things look pretty I really enjoy eating it which I know it's very extra but and my Instagram does motivate me to put in a little bit more effort because it was just me. I would like throw things in a bowl and it'd be done. But, you know, for Instagram, it's been fun to try to think of new creative ways to plate my food. I don't have any really special plates. I just use like whatever my roommates have or I have like one or two that are nice, but they're only like $5 at Target. And then I just honestly don't have a setup yet like other food bloggers do. I know they have like these cool um like that you could use like a tile or use different things as backdrops oh. I just haven't done that yet so I straight up just use my white study desk I like clean it off and put the food there and there's like ways to make the overlay look even better with textures and different accessories but to be realistic like I just don't really have time to do that so yeah. um I'm glad that you still think they look great. And I'm just using my iPhone and then I just edit with Lightroom just to change the lighting a little bit to look better and the colors, but I try to keep it pretty natural to what it is. It's just enhancing an iPhone picture. Um, that's that's awesome. really it. Yeah, uh, I really like it. And I like it in the comments 
So you guys, for those of you who are listening or watching right now, at her Instagram, which is at Slice of Annie, she has the whole recipe in the comments. So not only do you get like that great picture, like, oh, this is what it's going to look like when you're done, but she puts the recipe in the comments or actually in her caption, which really helps me because like if I want to make something, I spend too much time Googling recipes and then the blog posts are so long and there's so many ads in between and my computer gets slow, which is like, not big a huge problem but it does slow me down so i really like that as well so thank you for sharing that on your instagram while you document you know your med school journey yeah of course um and i just find that it's a really great outlet for me um i'm i really don't think that you should live and breathe medicine all the time i think that's going to burn you out and i'm pretty artistic too like my brain works both in the artistic creative side and the left side so this is like my creative outlet when I'm not able to like paint or draw or whatever, like taking these pictures, making the food, that's how I can keep being creative, even while studying science all the time. You know, and even with your background as a, I think I forgot how to say the word, dietetic technician, <laughs> and also, you know, what you graduated with, your bachelor's, so like that probably motivates you too, and what kind of made you take that, I really just love the unique background you have to go to med school. I still think it's kind of a non-traditional route, you know? So how did you kind of combine your background when you were writing essays maybe, or your personal statement to being like, oh, but I also want to do medicine? Yeah, that was very challenging me for me for my personal statement because um, my application shows that I did a lot outside of medicine, not just in medicine. I have a very wide variety of interests so to tie it all in was kind of focusing on integrative medicine which i was given the advice not to say i strongly want to do integrative medicine like mm -hmm. i'm a pre-med i don't know anything technically in medicine i should say it's my interest so that's what i did but i incorporated how like i used to be an athlete and i loved nutrition and had this whole background and then my culture kind of being Asian and having a lot of Eastern medicine influences and then eventually I tied that all in into thinking I want to practice medicine in a preventative way yeah. where it will allow me to incorporate maybe some alternative medicine options that are evidence-based but that I have a strong background in and so that's how I kind of wove it all together and it's funny because when I got to undergrad, I just chose nutritional sciences thinking like, you know, out of all the majors that my school offers, like, this sounds interesting. If I switch it after the first year, whatever, like, who cares? And then I ended up loving it so much. Yeah. Um, and my advisor was very, um, she was trying very hard to bring me in to be a dietitian, but it gave me a very good um plan b option so that's why i did nutritional sciences dietetics yeah. instead of what they recommended for pre-meds to just do the nutrition emphasis mm -hmm. because if you just do the nutrition emphasis you can't be a registered dietitian you would have to take an extra six months of courses to be able to fit that accreditation certification yeah. so i went the dietetics route and it was honestly probably the best choice that I made because they had this class called medical nutrition therapy. Okay. And that is what made me 
love the major and it actually strengthened my desire to go into medicine because we could practice all of like the clinical cases, think about it in a very like inpatient clinical setting idea of how to incorporate nutrition into these patients' treatment plans. And then I was able to practice that being a dietetic technician. So um, I'm very glad that I went the path that I did because I do think it has prepared me for the future um, when treating patients in order to think about like all these other specialties that I could work with. Now, you brought up so many amazing points, and I just want to kind of go back and reiterate that you followed your passions and you're really happy with what you chose because of that, even though your counselors or your advisors and undergrad told you you should not do the dietetic part of this. You should only do, do the nutrition major. And you said, no, like I like it, so I'm going to do it anyways, and it worked out anyways. And I think there's so many people that don't get the best advice from their advisors. I didn't. I got advice that I should apply when I'm 25, and I was 20 at the time, and I was like, that's in five years. What am I going to, what am I going to do between this five years? Because I had already been working on my, you know, my resume and my activities. I was doing them, and I was just a younger uh, student in undergrad for mm -hmm. the year that I was in. Same. But 25 yeah. is the average age for med school, you know, acceptances. And I understand that completely, but everyone has different backgrounds. So for those of you guys who are listening, please follow your passions. You know, take something in college if you want to take it, even if other people are saying don't do it, because you never know what's going to come out of that. 100%. And actually, I love that you said that because I was very young for my grade two. I graduated right before 21. Yeah. So that is actually a huge reason why I did take the gap year, just yeah. because I felt like my application was relatively strong at that point. But one, I knew that the average was higher. I knew that people who were older had an advantage because they just had that years of experience that I didn't have yet. But then two, I also wanted a break. So. <laughs> no, good for so. you. I'm glad that you gave yourself that break. I had pressure from family telling me, no, don't take a break. You know, you're going to fall off and you're never going to go to med school if you take a break. But gap years are becoming a lot more normalized now. I know a little yes. bit like back then it was not super normal. People want to go straight out of college. And I think once you forget that age factor that, oh, I'm going to be older when I get into medical school, once you get over that, it's really not a big deal. It's all about kind of the journey and just enjoying every single day, like in the present. Don't think about what age you're going to graduate college. Don't think of what age you're going to graduate medical school and finally become a resident or finally become an intending because you're just not going to enjoy the process as much if you think of it as like, I'll be happy when I'm a physician in 10 years like that's not how you should be thinking about it you should be doing what you love even right now so you're happy in the day-to-day -day. Yes. so um you took one gap year right yeah i did that's awesome so we're getting towards the end of the podcast i have one more question to ask you and that's one share one piece of advice that changed your life that you would like to share with everyone today Okay, this is hard because I feel like I've had a lot of good advice. Um, I think one that stands out to me the most and has shaped kind of how I interact with people is there is never a stupid question. And if you have a question, ask it. Because yeah. I am definitely someone who asks too many questions sometimes. But once I 
got over that fear of being like, oh, I'm being a burden. Oh, they're too busy to respond to me. No, I realized that the more that I ask questions to people, well, do it in like a respectful way, you know, but um, I have just gained so much, not only like advice, appreciation that I even came up to them and asked the question, but also really good mentors. So I do feel like throughout my life, Thankfully, I have had relatively good support throughout, but I do also think that it's because I put in that initial effort and work to yeah. ask these questions that I had, and then that's how I was able to seek out the answers instead of just kind of like living in my head, being nervous and like going through all the pros and cons, but not having a direct sense of guidance that I couldn't gain until I asked about it. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I love that advice because asking questions, like you said, is what helps you find mentors and mentors change your life. Like my mentor changed my life and I actually have a podcast episode with her. It's episode nine, if you guys want to listen to that, but I don't think I would have, you know, gotten where I am today in this time period, maybe if it weren't like without her, she helped me, you know, boost my confidence, get a research position, which helped me get you know, the following uh, research positions that I got after that. So it was really just an awesome relationship. There's never a stupid question. If you don't know something, I bet you someone in the room also doesn't know something. And it's just better to be vulnerable. You're going to have a way quicker learning curve if you just ask those questions rather than trying to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I really like that advice. Of course. So thank you so much, Annie, for coming on today. This was an awesome episode. I'm really excited to release it. I'm actually going to release it today. Today's Friday, November 6th. So this will be out on Spotify, you guys, today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you again so much for having me. This is so fun. It's my first podcast, so this is so exciting. Yeah, of course. It was awesome. All right, guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also, if you've learned one little thing from the show, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review. It means a lot to me, and I read them all. I'll see you in the